The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I think we've got the firm in a position as we enter 2024 where we have two key businesses where we really are in leadership positions and have a right to win. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, giving our Squawk team the exclusive interview after his firm reported its fourth quarter. Hi, guys. Hi, hey, David. How, how are, are you? you? I'm good, David. How are you doing? How he sees deal making and sales in the year ahead. I do think you're going to see more activity. And how Solomon's managing global risk for his clients. I think there's a lot going on in the world that could make things bumpy. And so, you know, we watch closely and try to be good risk men. And the macroeconomic environment here at home. But it feels like at this point, a bunch of work's done where the chance of hikes is a much smaller distribution than we would have thought, you know, six months ago. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Squawk Pod reports from Davos. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon begins right now. Davos coverage continues. Our team was on the ground in the Swiss Alpine village with over 2,000 leaders in civil society, the arts, academia, and of course, business. A few of those attendees were bank CEOs who commented to our team on the interest rate environment affecting U.S. markets, like J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon. I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. When stock markets are up, it's kind of like this little drug we all feel. Like, it's just great, you know. But remember, we've had so much fiscal monetary stimulation, so I'm a little more on the cautious side. And Morgan Stanley's new head, Ted Pick. Talk about the path lower, there'll be a loosening, asset prices go through the roof. So like, okay, let's see if that overheats us again. But I do think we are probably past peak inflation. What's interesting though, Becky, is like, it is not inconceivable that we have to go faster, mm-hmm. i.e. 50 basis points. If you sort of price that out, it's kind of five or 10%. Even the head of the world's first trillion dollar asset manager, Steve Schwarzman swung by. People approach us with portfolios to buy. And we say thank you for the opportunity, but we're actually only interested in buying a few types of real estate. We really wanna buy more warehouses, more student loans, one or two other classes. So if you could take this pile of stuff back and just give us what we'd like, we'll buy it all. And so what tends to happen is they go back and they find all of the stuff of the type we'll buy, and they come to sell it, and they often bring their best stuff. Those interviews, if you haven't heard them yet, are waiting for you in your Squawk Box feed. Today, we're hearing from Goldman Sachs CEO, David Solomon. And it's helpful to know a few things going in. 
2023 was a tumultuous year for Goldman. The bank cut 7% of its workforce, well over 3,000 workers. It began winding down its consumer lending business, Marcus, which originally was an attempt to bring in everyday investors, ultimately rivaling J.P. Morgan Chase as a banking player for Main Street. It then had to sell fintech Green Sky, which it had bought to boost that consumer lending business. CEO David Solomon took the heat for a lot of these changes. And to us on the outside, it seemed like internally he was taking a lot of heat too. Internal beef and surprise departures made news outside the firm. And at one point in 2023, over the course of one week in the summer, five of Solomon's partners left the firm. Solomon commented afterward that this turnover was typical, but still, throughout the year, there were flurries of media reports that Goldman partners bristled at Solomon's side hustle as a DJ, that Solomon had led some of the bank's missteps. There were even reports of expletives and meetings about that consumer lending business. It's really been a tricky year. In September, Solomon addressed his critics in an interview with CNBC's David Faber. It's not fun, you know, obviously watching uh, some of the personal attacks in the press, obviously. We're a big organization. We're doing a lot of things in the world. And, you know, we should be scrutinized and we are scrutinized. And, you know, we watch that, you know, that, that scrutiny very, very carefully. I don't recognize the caricature that's been painted of me. I have a lot of colleagues and clients I talk to. They don't recognize that caricature either. And I tell you, a lot of them, particularly my colleagues, are not shy about expressing their, uh, <laughs> their, their, uh, their personal views. Um, but look, I always reflect on it. You, you always look at it. And we're focused on doing what we're doing. So that's the internal drama. On the strictly business side of things, the bank just reported its fourth quarter results. Profit for the quarter was up 51% after eight quarters of decline. That's good news, but investment banking and trading, historically the drivers of Goldman's revenue, were down. You see, Solomon has been shifting strategy to depend more on the sustainable revenue streams of asset and wealth management. And those businesses were what drove that profit strength. Remember, this is a quarterly picture. For the full year, profit fell 24%. That's worse than Morgan Stanley, whose full year profits fell 18%, and definitely worse than JP Morgan, whose full year profit grew 32%. The roughest of the banking bunch, though, this quarter was Citigroup, which reported a quarterly loss. The sector overall is under pressure from a tough investment banking landscape, as you'll hear from Solomon. After Goldman Sachs's fourth quarter report, the stock traded up a bit. So how does Solomon turn this quarterly growth into a long-term one, especially with the macroeconomic environment where it is? Our CNBC anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin asked him all about it the morning after his company reported those fourth quarter results. They all sat down together for an exclusive interview at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland this week. Nice to see you, sir. Good to see all of you guys. I'm happy to be here again. And so it's a, it's a warm, it's a warmer day. So you, is, you, I'm glad I'm sitting. So you were day. in New York yesterday because you had your earnings report. Let's let's talk earnings, and then we'll get into some of the broader geopolitical sure. issues and, and, sure. and market issues. But you know, one of the things is the, the market likes this. They like when your asset management and the wealth wealth business go up because that's where the, the people will ascribe a higher multiple to the business. So where do you think you are in terms of the transformation at this point of the Goldman Sachs, as they like to say? Well, I, we made a lot of progress in 2023. Um, you know, we've made a bunch of strategic decisions over the last few years to really invest and grow that asset and wealth management franchise, get it organized. And I think we've got the firm in a position as we enter 2024 where we have two key businesses where 
we really are in leadership positions and have a right to win. And the first, obviously, is global banking and markets, where I think we've performed very well. And I think one of the things the market liked yesterday was our relative performance in that business and what's not been a, you know, a right. B plus or an A environment. But we've continued to grow the asset wealth management franchise. We had our 23rd, fourth quarter of consecutive long-term fee-based inflows. We highlighted that we met our fundraising target that we set three and a half years ago on alternatives. We exceeded it. We raised $250 billion of alternatives a year ahead of schedule. And we'll continue to raise more alternative assets as we go forward. I think that we'll probably raise another 40 or $50 billion in 20 to 24. So the franchise is well positioned. We have very strong performance in the funds and we're growing the management fees. And those management fees over the last five years have gone from kind of just under $5 billion to almost a $10 billion run right now. So we're, we're making real progress. People often talk about uh, Goldman Sachs' culture as this very unique culture. And historically, it's been a culture around investment bankers and traders. That's been the culture. Now that there's this flip in terms of shift of focus, and you may say that I'm wrong. You may say, we're not, we're not shifting away from investment banking or trading. And I know, I know that. But has it changed the culture? You know, I, I think that we've got a very strong culture that's centered around the fact that for a long time, the firm has been able to hire, retain, and get incredibly talented people to work together in a very, very collaborative way. And I think for us to be successful in asset and wealth management, that culture you know, has to permeate through, and it is permeating through. I think one of the things that has really helped the firm over the course of the last few years is this one GS ethos that we've developed that's really enhanced our culture of cooperation and allowed us to serve our clients in a super collaborative way to really say, what do they need to experience? And I think that's helping in our asset and wealth management business too. Uh, let's talk broader markets. Jamie sure. Diamond, uh, your, your peer, was uh, on talking about what the Fed is going to do, where the markets are going to go. You were talking about it during the commercial break when you first came on. What do you think Jay Powell is actually going to do this but year? I think Jay Powell is going to watch the data. And based on the data, Jay Powell will make decisions. The market's clearly running ahead to a position of, of many cuts. There's no question we've made a lot of progress on inflation. Uh, depending on how the progress you know, moves from here, that'll spell the direction of, of policy. I think it's hard, it's hard for me to see the market's view of seven cuts you know, this year. Um, you know, I do think there's a reasonable possibility of some interest rate cuts and some easing, but it's really going to be dependent on, on what the data says and how the economy transmits through As the year. I see some signs of softness, which would lead, you know, which would lead you to believe that we're going to see some cuts, yeah. but there's a lot going on in the world. And I know you're talking about geopolitics, et cetera, and all of this, you know, can create 0% balances. Zero percent chance of hikes? Um, you know, I don't say zero percent to anything, <laughs> um, but, um, but it feels like at this point, a bunch of work's done where the chance of hikes is a much smaller distribution than we would have thought, you know, six months ago. If you think the market is has gotten ahead of where reality is in terms of the cuts that could come this year, is there a reckoning that, that comes in no. market prices? Or? No, there doesn't have to be. There doesn't have to be a reckoning. And by the way, the market market's much smarter than I am, so the market may be right. Um, but there doesn't have to be a reckoning. We've gone through a lot of. It's an uncertain time. There's a lot going on in the world. We've gone through very very quick transitions over the course of the last couple of years. And so there's been a lot of you know, shift in view, and I think that shift can continue. It doesn't have to create a reckoning. I'm, I'm not looking for a reckoning in markets in 2024. You'd have to see a real exogenous right. event to have something like that, in my opinion, happen in 2024. But let me ask you this. Steve Schwartzman was just sitting in your seat, and he said that he thinks he's going to be buying a lot of stuff in this coming year. And when he says that, it suggests that he thinks there's going to be more things on sale in a almost distressed-like way, big multinationals, divesting units, things of that sort. 
than we have seen in the past couple of years. Well, I, I, I do think that the private equity community broadly, and I'm not being specific to Steve's comments, has really been closed for business over the course of the last 18 months. They've sold very few assets. There's an enormous amount of pressure from the LP community on that group to create more, more realizations. The markets have settled out. Values are values. So I think you're going to start to see more velocity around sales. In addition, you know, private equity firms make money when they can put deals and opportunities together. And I think people have settled in on the reality of the world. And we're starting in our shop to see more activity in that community. So I do think you're going to see more activity. And that's one of the things that's been very favorable for our business as I look forward. One of the reasons I was optimistic on our call yesterday the investment banking environment has been a really, really crummy investment banking environment for transactions, for M&A, et cetera. It's improving. And private equity is, an, is a component of that where we're seeing some signs of improvement. What um, You mentioned the exogenous events that could happen, and we all talk about all the risks that are out here. I'm sure you're going to be talking about that this week. Hard to control politics, hard to control any of these geopolitical situations. How do you prepare for it? At the bank level, well, I, I I think we all. When I'm asked, and I you know I said this yesterday in my earnings call, I'm pretty optimistic that the environment for our business will be better. But we're operating cautiously. There's a lot going on in the world. I think the world's a little bit fragile at the moment. We're going through some big transitions, and you know I think you've got to spend a lot of time worrying about the things that probably don't happen. But there's a two percent chance of something happening, and just making sure you're prepared. And so, when we think about capital, we think about liquidity, we think about risk positions. You know, we always look through a lens of the tail, you know, not the normal, not the, you know, not the, the large scale distribution that we expect. And I, I think there's a lot going on in the world that could make things bumpy. And we're watching that stuff carefully. I'm not a good political prognosticator, but there are elections all over the world. You know, that can have impact on economic activity. Um, and so, you know, we watch closely and try to be good risk managers. And I, I asked just because Jamie made comments to this effect too. And yeah. listening to his view of the world, it's a little more pessimistic than what, what we hear from most people, most CEOs who are looking at their books, who are looking things through. Well, you have to, you have to live in the moment. And you know, in the moment, we've navigated better than I expected we would navigate. In fact, I remember sitting here one year ago and telling you the direction of travel on monetary policy, in my opinion, most likely would lead to an economic slowdown. And I was wrong. Mm-hmm. So we've navigated better. There are a variety of reasons why we've navigated better. And I think the market environment and the tone X what's going on geopolitically in the world feels better today. And so you have to take that as a base case. We had a meeting yesterday inside the shop where we were looking at our, you know, base case economic forecast, you know, for our planning and our budgeting. And it's, it's a relatively benign case, but the tails, there's some tails that don't look great. So you think about the tails. You, you have to believe that there's free lunches. I mean, that's Jamie's point. We had ZERP for 10 years. We got 34 trillion in debt. Gosh, rates are coming down. We conquered it. It's a soft landing. Let's spend another thirty-four trillion, and maybe the market will double from here. I mean, things like that don't happen, David. So, well, so I, just in general, there there's got to be some reason for wondering whether it's too good to be true. Well, I, I think I think you should, and that's why I think you have to be cautious. And I would highlight exactly what you just highlighted, Joe. I'm very concerned about the growing debt, and that's not something that I think is going to come home to roost in 2024 necessarily, but the velocity- How can down when, when the government's going to have to borrow so much money for debt service? How well, that's one of the reasons down? why I'm more in the camp of you know, higher rates longer as a general base case as you operate over the next five years, because we have to refinance this right. debt on a different basis than we have. Now, that doesn't mean the policy rate can't go a little bit lower, yeah. but ultimately, you know, the burden, we go back to pre-financial crisis, you had six or $7 trillion of treasuries. 
you're now in the, in the low 30s. And by the way, you're in the low 30s with a lot of short-term financing and you know, higher cost financing coming, which obviously grows, grows the treasury stack. So I think, that's, I think that is a big risk issue that we're going to have to deal with and reckon with. It just might not happen in the next six months. We got to run. But how do you think about China? The premier is here. Uh, lots of discussion about what it means to do business in China, given the situation with Taiwan ongoing. They seem to be very open for business, I argue, in large part because their economy seems quite challenged. But there's questions about you know, whether uh, companies should be taking TikTok or, or ByteDance public. We just had Bill Ford on the program. Xi'an wants to go public. There's a question mark about whether the SEC will even let that happen in the United States. How are you thinking about uh, China, as uh, given where you sit? Well, I, I agree with your high-level thesis that the Chinese economy is slow and sluggish right now. And certainly they have an incentive, a strong incentive to try to repair that, but they've got some significant headwinds. The U.S.-China bilateral relationship is probably the most important you know, bilateral relationship we have and also the most complicated and the most fraught. I'm encouraged by the fact that there's been more dialogue in the last few months between the administration and the Chinese leadership. I think that's important. But I'm also eyes wide open that we're going into an election cycle where there's going to be an enormous amount of rhetoric that's going to be very, very tough. And I think it's going to be hard to understand the direction of travel on policy from here until we get past the election. We continue to invest in our business. We're very cognizant of the fact, cognizant of the fact that U.S. policy around certain industries is restricting capital flow and investment into China. And so we look at our business with a different lens because of that. Um, but where we can and we will, we'll serve our clients, especially our global clients who operate in China. We have lots of clients who operate you, in China. You, and we're very committed. Navigated a couple of rough quarters and you had a great quarter this time. Are you getting love letters from the board? Are you like, did you get a new like 18 year contract or something? Is it different? Does it feel different? Unfortunately, I'm an employee at Will. I don't, I don't, I don't get a contract. But it, Weathered what, the storm. What feels good is our team, Joe, did an unbelievable job. It was, it was a tough year. Nobody's happier to get 2023 behind us than me. But I'm really proud of our team. We made some decisions. We executed really well against those decisions. We made progress. And we've got the firm really positioned well to serve our clients with excellence and distinction and also to continue to deliver for shareholders. I like, I like our setup. It. It's, it's weird that you know, people weren't really looking very closely at the stock. Well, we've done. I, I, I'm, you know, I feel very good about the fact the stock's up you know, 120, 130% over the last five years. We're making good progress, but a lot more to do. Yeah. And as long as we serve our clients, we're going to do just fine. David Solomon, thank you. Appreciate it. Great to see you guys. Thanks. Thanks. Absolutely. See you, see you soon. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Thank you for listening to this special Squawk Pod Reports, bringing you the best interviews from the 2024 World Economic Forum in Davos. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Lorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, Katie Kramer, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazration is our editor. Have a great day. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.